today I want to speak to you about being content. Why is it so elusive? Why is it so hard to get? And before we even get to that, surely aiming at contentment right now is luxurious and indulgent. I mean, am I even allowed to feel contented? There's so much going on in our world that should lead us to a holy discontent and so much in our hearts. I like what Eugene Peterson writes. He says that a person has to be thoroughly disgusted with the way things are to find the motivation to set out on the Christian way. So if you don't like what you see at the moment, if you're fed up with institutions and the world over-promising and under-delivering, well, you're in the best place to be on the path to contentment. Contentment is not complacency. In verse 12, Paul says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. And we right now, we are in a situation. My favourite TV, TV show is The West Wing. It's set in the White House and uh, normally there's some crisis going on, maybe quite a few. And, and the president, the, the military chiefs and the chief of staff, they go to meet in the situation room. And tensions are always running high and there's lots of opinions, there's lots of vested interests. And I think for many of us, there will be a situation room going on in our hearts right now. We're in all kinds of situations, conflicting worries, demands, concerns, even motivations. And the military chief in the, in the situation room would tell us that the world has gone VUCA. It's an acronym that the US military used to describe the world being volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous. And we are looking at perhaps a lifetime of the world becoming more and more VUCA. Can we find contentment in this brave new world? Well, to find out, let's travel to another centre of power. Not Washington DC, but a city that many of the buildings and institutions in DC are built upon, in Rome. In the 1860s, we find three different men who had very different approaches on how to find contentment. There's, uh, firstly, Nero the Emperor, and he would gratify desire. He thought that the way to be content is to get what you want. He always wanted more. He was the richest and the most powerful man in the known world, yet he wanted more fame. And so he entered the Olympics and he won every event that he entered. 1,808 prizes. They were all first prizes. And he uh, was in a chariot race and he fell off the chariot, but he still won the prize on the basis that if he hadn't fallen off the chariot, he would have won. And that was good, but he wanted more. The rumour was that he started the Great Fire of Rome so he could create a golden palace and a statue 90 feet tall. Guess who of? His sex life would shock anyone today. He wanted more pleasure, more power, more fame. He was very good at getting more, but more was never enough. Why is there that insatiable thirst and hunger in us that we never feel fed, still not yet living our best life? Nero's relationships, they were a train wreck. He, he killed his wife and mother. He was removed from power. And then this past week on the 9th of June in AD 69, he ended his own life. The second man I want to tell you about was Nero's advisor and mentor, Seneca, who was a Stoic philosopher. And he knew that gratifying your desire wouldn't work. So he wanted to eliminate desire or repress desire. He thought the way to be content is to rid yourself of what you want, and we see this in so many traditions today. 
We see CEOs attempting self-denial, personal austerity and self-mastery, taking cold baths, reading the Stoics at the same time, but at the same time also wanting to shore up more fame and wealth for themselves. It turns out that Stoicism is hard to live out consistently. It's like trying to hold a beach ball down below the water. And this is what happened to Seneca himself. As he worked with Nero, he, he became very rich and he owned property in Egypt, in Spain, in southern Italy. He bought 500 matching citrus wood tables with ivory legs. He was so wealthy, he loaned Britons $2 billion and insisted they pay, them, pay him back when he knew that they couldn't, which triggered a war for the Britons to get out of the Roman Empire. Brexit goes way back. We see this played out over Instagram, don't we? Whether it's congratulating ourselves with holidays and, and filling our stomachs with food and showing off about filling ourselves or showing off about emptying ourselves with zen-like rituals, self-restraint and diets. But who are we kidding? We have learnt the secret of turning every situation into social media content. And in so doing, we have exposed ourselves as not knowing the secret of being content in every situation. And, and Seneca's life, it ended in the same way as Nero's. And then there's a third person in Rome in the AD 60s, the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter to the Philippians from prison in Rome. In verse 12, he, he writes, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Notice that this is whether he has loads or less. Paul isn't saying gratify desire. He isn't saying ramp down your desires, master your emotions, lower your expectations and don't get your hopes up. No, he is saying that you and I were made for more. We were made for more than tiny pleasures. So increase your desire, get your hopes up that there is even greater satisfaction, even greater fulfillment even greater life to the full. Because your cravings, if you could get to the heart of them, they are for the eternal. How do you meet those eternal cravings, whatever the circumstance, whatever the situation? And can you become an increasingly non-anxious presence, the antibody to the lack of contentment you see in others around you? Well, I am not going to give you tools and tips and techniques. I am not going to place burdens on you, ways that other people pray and read the Bible, patterns and programs. The key thing is this, is like Jago said last week, it's not the absence of difficult situations, but the presence of Jesus. To know Jesus in the situation room of your life. And as you bring any lack of contentment to him, even your own complacency, he, he will not condemn you. The world or, or you yourself right now might tell you to strive for a righteousness that you will never be able to achieve. But instead, freely receive Jesus' righteousness. He doesn't condemn us. But he, he convicts us of sin and he frees us of that. And he gives us a new conviction of compassion for others. Because when Jesus says in Matthew 11, come to me, this is, is not religion and rules, but rest and relationship. He says, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble. 
or lowly in heart. We learn Jesus' humility and meekness. That's what we have at our disposal, to, to offer a world that is anything but content. This, this contentedness, it's humble, it's bold, and it's simple. I find it very interesting that, that Paul, in Philippians 4 verse 11, he, he borrows the word for contentment that the big thinkers of his day would use, that Seneca would use. It's the only place in the New Testament that Paul uses this word, autarkies. It actually means self-sufficient or, or self-mastery. It's this idea that to be self-sufficient is to be content. But Paul here, he, he subverts it, he, he repurposes it to say that contentment is not found in being self-sufficient, but being Jesus-sufficient, by depending on Jesus. You know, don't go around confusing contentment with being independent. That is the way of the world, and, and that metric is looking shakier by the day. You don't need a formula. You need a father. You don't need a structure. You need a saviour. You don't need a how-to. You need the Holy Spirit. You will not find contentment apart from Jesus. Not really. God, he, yes, he, he wants you to enjoy the good things in life, but they are so much sweeter when enjoyed with him. How do we know that Paul is saying all this? Well, have a look at verse 10 that he says to his friends, you know, thanks for the concern, but I'm fine, actually. That means a lot. It really does. But you know what? I'm OK. And then in verse 11 and verse 12, he talks about having things, not having things, uh, being able to support himself or not. But the biggest clue is there in verse 13, that he's learnt the secret. And thankfully, Paul here, he can't keep a secret because he says, I can do all things. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Jesus, he is strengthening Paul. Paul is not Paul sufficient. He is Jesus sufficient. The word for strength here is endynamanti. And you can see the word dynamic in there, dynamically dependent on Jesus. Eugene Peterson in the message version, he translates this verse as whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. God shows you who you are and then you can know how you are. People are not content because they don't know who they are. People are not content because they have not basked in the unconditional love of God and they are not living from the inside out. What happens when we experience God's strengthening? Well, Paul says, I can do all things. So whatever your task, whatever you need to do, Jesus is the one who strengthens you. Your parenting, your work, the new challenges of this particular season, all things. And we know from the, the context of the letter that Paul, he is particularly focused. He is one eyed on advancing the gospel. I don't need strengthening for things that I can do by myself. I need the Holy Spirit for things that I can't do in my own strength. Let's face it. The good life now looks very different. How's that holiday plan coming along? Had many people over to kick back lately? You know, all the metrics, all the measurements for, for satisfaction and aspiration are gone, but your purpose hasn't. The how and the what of life might change, but the why doesn't. It's for people to meet Jesus. That is your why. That is your purpose. In a world that is volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous, Paul can live with a purpose that is steady, 
certain, simple and clear. Amidst a VUCA world, are you steady, certain, simple and clear? The best way to do that is to simply you yourself be utterly, resolutely, defiantly satisfied in Jesus. Ads will tell you that contentment is just one purchase away. But Jesus, he bought your contentment on the cross. He didn't die for you to strive. No, he died for you to be satisfied in him. Imagine being simply so, so utterly content in Jesus that people crave what you have. So amidst restrictions, Paul, he doesn't settle in. He doesn't settle down or settle for less. No, he, he gets his hopes up. And he doesn't advance by hopping on a hamster wheel, exerting loads of effort, but never getting anywhere. No, he, he advances by resting into God and the strength that God gives him. Even evangelism will become a burden to you. It will become law to you if you put the cart before the horse. But Jesus, he does not place heavy burdens on us. No, no, Jesus says, come and be satisfied in me and drink from me. And you just watch, rivers of living water will flow from you. He says to the Samaritan woman, this, this well next to you, that water you're drinking from, you'll get thirsty again. But the water that I give you will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Your cravings are eternal because Jesus has eternal capacity to give. You can't beat his quality of life and quantity of life. This is living your best life. Living with Jesus and for Jesus is always living your best life, forever and for every day. So drink deeply from Jesus. Back in Philippians 2, Paul said that Jesus emptied himself. He emptied himself so you could be filled with him. You could be filled with his Holy Spirit and know that he is enough for you. He is more than enough. Paul, in verse 10, rejoices greatly in the Lord. So revel in Jesus, glory in him, boast in him. Get your hopes up. Get your hopes up and be content. Be vulnerably, boldly, unashamedly content in Jesus Christ. In his name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'd love to give an opportunity for anyone who hasn't yet asked Jesus to be their saviour, their friend, to, to do that right now, to say, I am done with being self-sufficient. It's not working. I'm not content. It's actually a prayer that all of us can pray. And it's simply saying three things. Sorry, thank you, and please. And you can use these words yourself as I pray. Let's pray. Father, I'm sorry for living my own way, for trying to be self-sufficient. And thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for emptying yourself so I could be filled with you. And would you please come right now and fill me by your Holy Spirit. Come and live with me forever. Make me content in you. And may rivers of living water flow through me to a world that so desperately needs you. In Jesus' name. Amen.